I know, I, I think I say this every time, every semester, every year. I'm so excited. I'm just so excited. It is totally always like Christmas to just stand up here and see your absolutely gorgeous faces. Some of you are new um, this, this evening as far as coming to Bible study, and I love it that one of the key verses in Ephesians is, you are acceptable, accepted, past tense, present tense, future tense, in the beloved. This is the beloved. You've come to the right place. So um, it is so exciting for you to be here. We're going to add a few more tables next week so that there's room for everybody. And um, it's kind of exciting to, to be crowded tonight. I love that. That's fabulous. So on your table, you um, have, hi, Chrissy. Seeing some faces I haven't seen for a while. I'm so excited about that. You have, have, did everyone receive one of these notebooks? Is anyone lacking one? Okay, right down here, I see that hand. Is there more? Okay, a hand over here. So we want to make sure everyone has, and a few hands up here at front. Good, good, that's great. Uh, don't you love that tonight, that this, this um, season of Bible study is absolutely free. We get things, we get notebooks, and we got tacos. I mean, how good is that? This is just a perfect start of a perfect year. And so, um, as you've already been informed, our Bible study is the book of Ephesians. So, if you would, open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Is anyone lacking a Bible tonight? anybody, somebody, a few of you need, raise your hands real high. Mary Jean, could you grab a couple Bibles in the back and, and give out a few Bibles if, uh, to those that need one? The book of Ephesians, um, sometimes when you open your Bible and, and look at a title on, um, on a book, it's always big and bold at the top of the page. Um, sometimes you wonder, what's in that book? What will we discover in this journey? And it is a total of 10 weeks, starting, including tonight. 10 weeks. And that's not a long time. That's a very short semester. And I want to say if you were, you're here for the first time, or maybe this is, you've come every time, I want to say the words, I just have to say it, Stay. Keep coming. Don't give up. About week four, people get weary. They get busy and they give up. I'm telling you, it is so rewarding to go the whole stretch of the road. This book of Ephesians is called by some the crown of Paul's teaching. John Corson calls it the Alps of the New Testament. Meaning, you climb up, you climb up to the top, to the very top, and you see a great view. You see from God's perspective. You see life. You see Him. And you see yourself. And thus it is with the book of Ephesians. It was a letter written 
while Paul was in prison. I love that. And, and, and why is that important to know? Does it make any difference if he was in the Bahamas or he was in Jerusalem or he, was he in prison? It makes a difference. To me, when I open one of the prison epistles, I have to take a long pause. I have to think, what was that really like to have been arrested, to have been falsely accused, to have been forced to leave your teaching ministry or, or that which you felt was your lane and to be forced to quiet, to stay put? What was that like? Especially when it's unfair circumstances. Maybe some of you go, I know. I know exactly how that feels. Well, then good. Good. Apply those emotions. Apply that thought to him being in prison in Rome. He was awaiting trial. And when you await a trial, you have no idea what the outcome is going to turn. Remember, I went to to, to, to trial, to court with my husband many years ago. We had only been married a few months. I was a few months pregnant. And the judge that day, when he walked in the court, he, was, he had an angry face. He stood up behind his little podium, and he said, you boy are going to jail. They handcuffed him, and they took him away. You never know what the outcome was. And it wasn't because he robbed a bank or anything like that. So... Um, he was waiting for the trial and for the outcome, not knowing if this would be the end of his life. Ironically, ironically, as he writes this letter, the things that he writes are more vivid because of where he is. Because the theme of this letter is not to overcome suffering and unfair circumstances, which it could have been. He had an audience that would have listened to that. Instead, he writes as one who is entirely unconfined. He was outside of his cell, and in Christ is the theme. It's the key reality that he writes about page after page after page. The versions of in Christ, in him, is repeated Someone said, I didn't count them, but someone said 90 times. I thought, I need to go back and count that. 90 times in six short chapters, our life is in Christ. No matter whether we are rich or poor, you live in a palace or you live in a small rented apartment, in him is what he urges us to know that we are to look up. I came across this tragic little moment in the book, Streams in the Desert, thinking about what so many people are going through, the hardship and the hard times and the despair and the discouragement that sometimes just wants to envelop us and drag us down. And in this story, he writes, one day in autumn, while on the open prairie, I saw an eagle mortally wounded by a rifle shot, his eyes still gleaming like small circles of light. He slowly turned his head, giving one last searching, longing look toward the sky. 
He had often swept those starry spaces with his wonderful wings. The beautiful sky was the home of his heart. It was the eagle's real domain. It was there he had displayed his splendid strength a thousand times. In those lofty heights, he played with the lightning and raced with the wind. And now, far below his home, the eagle lay dying. He faced death because, just once, he forgot and he flew too low. And some of you might have known or some of you might have gone to a funeral on Saturday of a woman who sat in one of these seats. She was a darling girl. I loved her dearly. And the tragedy at the end of her life is that she flew too low and she got shot. I just, want to, I just want to be 10 foot tall right now and I just want to hold all of your faces in my hot little hands and just say, no, no. This book is going to teach us to fly high and to keep our eyes up. And who wants to say a big amen to that? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, Lord, we just pray with all of our heart, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. God, lift us up from this weary, discouraging, depressing world sometimes that wants to drag us low and get us all shot up. Lord, we know that there's life and there's liberty, liberty, there's hope and there's freedom in you. And God, we want to own it. We want to live it and we want to give it out. And so we pray, Lord, that you would make us students, students tenaciously hungry for your word. And we pray in Jesus' name. And they all said, amen. So, so as I've been reading over Ephesians, I've been thinking, not just where the setting was, that Paul was. I, I went back. I, I thought about him. I thought about his story. I thought about how he came to that amazing place in his life. Where did he start and how did he get there? And so I thought about when we first meet him in Acts chapter 9. In, 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 um, in Acts chapter 9. And when we first meet him, he's a young Jewish leader with a promising future. He was brilliant. He was well-educated. He was highly religious. Not only that, he was successfully highly religious, which most people can't pull off at all. But he did not know God. That's the bottom line. He did not know God until in Acts 9, Jesus himself broke into his world and crashed all of his preconceptions of who God was. Maybe he thought God was just up in his high sky and here he was down on earth with the duty to live by rules and regulation. But when God crashed into his world on the road to Damascus, he saw not just a great light, but he saw for himself the light of the world who was living 
and real. In Acts 9-4, when he fell to the ground, he asked two questions. First one, who are you? Who are you? Love that question. Who are you? He had to ask that first, and it wasn't idle curiosity. This was a question that the answers would shake his world literally for the rest of his life. His concept had been misleading and misled and misplaced. And now Jesus answered the question and began a journey for him. Who are you? I believe for the first time in his entire life, in his entire religious life, he asked God himself that question. And God broke through the fog. But then he had a second question. A second question, and so, what do you want me to do? The second question actually would be a great, the first and the second question would actually be a great summary of the book of Ephesians. First, who are you, God? Who are you? What is your big master plan for all of life? And then the second question would be, What do you want us to do? Chapters 1, 2, and 3 are the big Alps question. Discovering God. Roaming around. Having him opening up the chambers of heaven and giving us a peek of the big picture. And then chapter 4 begins with that great word, therefore. Therefore, it turns the corner hard and it hits the road running with a therefore. It begins with those words of Paul, the bond servant, the prisoner for Christ. He says, I beseech you, I beseech you because of all this, now walk worthy of the calling, the high calling. To which you were called. Tonight as we open our Bibles to the book of Ephesians. My task assigned is to introduce you to this little book of just six chapters. It is a treasure chest and a road map. But it's also a time capsule that takes you back before time even began, before the world was even created, before you were even born, to show you that even then, God knew you, Kay, and Linda, and Claire, and Dawn. He knew you personally, before your mother knew you. He knew you. And he loved you, and he chose you, and he called you, even at times when you didn't hear his voice or you didn't listen. Then we are lifted up in that time capsule, not just to the present, to the future. In chapter 1, verses 20 through 21, Jesus is seen as risen from the dead Christ. He is now presently and will forever be seated at the right hand of the God, the Father, in the heavenly places, far above 
all principality and power and might and dominion at the, and every name that is named. You know what? I need to know that. I need to know that in my personal world right now. Because as I look around, sometimes I just go, it's not right. It is so not right down here. When I look at the powers that be sometimes, I go, they're not right. They're making wrong decisions. They're leading us in the wrong path. That's when we have to know God is on the throne. Absolutely. This letter was written to Christians living in a very complicated world. It was probably first sent to the Christians who lived in Ephesus. That's the the word, the letter to Ephesus. But then copies were made, and those copies were then passed around to the other churches in the region. Then probably copies of that letter were passed along to other letters or home Bible studies in, in the furthermost parts of the earth. And so some manuscripts, some older manuscripts that have been found, leave out the word Ephesus. So is that a problem? Well, what probably happened is this one original letter that Paul wrote, they made so many copies that maybe at the 55th time, they go, this thing's getting ragged. And each time they made a copy, they didn't keep the word Ephesus. They dropped that because it was going somewhere else. The original, the one that said to the Ephesians, they probably made a copy and destroyed the worn out one. And that's how sometimes happen in history. So what, where was Ephesus and what was that about? It was a complicated city. It was one of the capital cities of the Roman Empire. It was a seaport, meaning ships from far away would bring food and products and ideas and problems from other countries. Port cities usually have lots of money and lots of bars. In Ephesus, religion was big money too. Their chief god was really a goddess, goddess Diana. And where did she come from? I mean, where do idols and goddesses come from? Historically, it's thought that a meteor fell from the sky. And people were so impressed as they saw something fall from who knows where that they picked it up put it on a pedestal, and then worshipped it. I know that doesn't seem logical, right? Does that seem foolish and odd? But it does show something very interesting about us as human beings and how we're wired. People, really all of us, have a longing to be in touch with something that's beyond us that's beyond this dirty, ragged, everyday, humdrum world. We are. We are. Have, we all have that longing. Some people are very afraid to talk to people who are in new age 
or some kind of mysticism or, or interested in dark powers. You know what? I was all of that. I was very interested in Ouija boards and Twilight Zone and all of that. It's a sense that there's something more. That longing, that longing to go beyond us. Billy Graham said that whenever he talked to a group of people, he always knew one thing about them, that they knew that there was more. So, Goddess Diana. Actually, last week I went to um, the Queen Mary, the big boat, and um, on that boat there's a display of Princess Diana. And I've been thinking about all this, so I thought, I'm going to go look. In that display, there's all the pictures of her fairy tale wedding. So removed from our ordinary humdrum life that almost everyone who was alive on the planet watched it on TV live. Pretty amazing. And in that display, there were pictures of her clothes. I mean, the clothes that she really wore. I mean, I was looking at some of those and I thought, they just wouldn't have looked the same on me. No, not at all. There was a hat that she wore, a purse that she carried. You know what? People spend hours in that display because it's being in touch with something or somebody outside their ordinary world. Well, in Ephesus, the worship of princesses and goddesses was big money, as it often is. And as it often is, sometimes in that atmosphere, women are used as merchandise, as part of the process. When Paul came and he taught about a real God and a real Savior that threatened their business, and he had to leave He had to leave Dodge secretly. But then he came back and stayed three whole years. And he he taught them. And he taught them and he served them. And he bonded with them. And when he left, his beloved Timothy became the pastor of that church in Ephesus. And then one of my all-time favorite disciples, John the Beloved, became the pastor there too. Great history this church has. But then, as the last part of the background, I'm going to look at Acts 20. If you have your Bibles open, please now turn to Acts 20, and we're going to take one one little look at probably, possibly improbably, the last time he saw any of these people. In Acts chapter 20, Paul had a compelling a driving compelling to go back to Jerusalem for Passover. And on his way, he couldn't take time to actually go to Ephesus and visit the people there. So in verse 17, it says that he called the the Ephesian elders to come and meet him in Miletus. And when they came to, to him... It was like he had this sense, this foreboding sense. And all along the way, as he traveled back to Jerusalem, warnings were coming. It's not going to be good. You're going to be put in bonds. It will not be a good end. Don't go, people begged him. 
And so he had the sense that maybe this is the last time he would ever be able to impart to them words of wisdom, encouragement, truth. And in verse 23, it says, um, 22, he said, And see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulation await me. But then he says some of my favorite words. He says, but none of these things move me, nor will I count my life dear to myself, so I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of of God. He was focused. He was determined. And he was going to run his race. As he talked with them in these parting words, he warned them. He said in verse 28, therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And then he warned them, for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, and they will speak perverse things, drawing away disciples after themselves. What a stern, what a sobering warning. And then at the end, verse 36, when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them, and they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he had spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. I love that scene. I hate that scene, but I love that scene. I love it that he was bonded with them. Their life was important to him. His life was important to them. Sometimes we think of Paul so smart, so strong, so bossy. But here, this is the real Paul. They're kissing him. These are the elders. They're weeping over him that they would see him no more. What a parting scene. I love that so much. And so, and so now we're going to take a, like a bird's eye view, you know, like that um, ride in Disneyland, California Adventure, where you strap into the seat and you soar over California. We're going to soar over Ephesians. Like I, I just went to a, um, a um, smorgasbord. And I was starving, starving. I was so hungry. And it was just the best smorgasbord I had ever seen. And instead of picking up a plate, I just ran up and down the aisles to see everything was there. And then when I grabbed a plate, I'd put something on my plate and I would eat, you know, start eating as I go down the aisle. I I, I often do that when Rita cooks food here. I 
put some on my plate and I just keep eating and then I always have more room. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to soar over Ephesians and look at some of my all-time favorite phrases just to give you a taste, a coming events of the powerful, life-changing truths that are going to be ours as we travel through this. There's promises and treasures Chapter 1 comes out of the gate saying, Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus. That's not just grace for you, but grace all the way delivered to you. And in this journey, what I'm going to challenge you, your leader's going to challenge you, look up words. It's not going to be a little Bible study laid out for you and charted where, where then it says to you, look up words. We're going to say it tonight. We're going to teach you to dive in and look around and then look up words. Grace. Could you give a great definition for grace? Could you if I ask you to write it down? I looked it up. And probably my favorite definition I've ever heard when I looked it up in the Blue Letter Bible says, Grace, the merciful kindness by which God, exerting his holy influence upon your souls, strengthens you, fortifies your faith, your affection, your joy, your delight, and your sweetness. That's awesome. Does anybody think that's awesome? Amen. Okay, comes out of the gate saying that. Verse 3 says, He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Past tense. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. In the heavenlies in Christ. Verse 6. He has made us past tense, present tense, accepted in the beloved. Verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance. Verse 13. You have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Chapter 2. He has made us alive Together in Christ. Verse 10. For you are right now his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Verse 13. Now in Christ Jesus you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace. By the Spirit, we have access to the Father. Right now, we are citizens, saints, members of the household of God. Chapter 3 speaks of the unsearchable riches of Christ. Chapter 3 speaks of the fact that we have boldness and access to God with confidence. That we are strengthened with might by the spirit in the inner man. That we are rooted 
and grounded in love. And lest we forget, we are reminded, we are reminded at the end of chapter 3 in this wonderful letter that he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, more than we could ask or think. Chapter 4 begins with the word therefore. 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 Because of this. Because of this. Because our Savior has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies and made us accepted in the beloved. Therefore. We are beseeched to walk worthy. To live it out. To never forget who you are. Never forget who you belong to, to walk worthy. Unless we know, unless we don't know, well, in case we don't know what that looks like, to walk worthy, he then goes on to give us the definition of what that looks like. It's to be humble. It's to be gentle. It's to be patient. It's to be loving. That's what it looks like to walk worthy. All those extravagant riches makes us sweet. Chapter 4 assures us that he's given a spiritual gifts to the church to equip the saints so that we can be effective and unified. In that chapter, it talks about not being children, tossed to and fro, but speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up We're to put off our former conduct and putting off the old man, putting off anger, corrupt words, bitterness, not grieving the Holy Spirit. Instead, we're to be kind. We're to be tenderhearted. We're to forgive just as God in Christ forgave us. Chapter 5 begins with another Therefore, dear children, be imitators of God. For you once were darkness, but not anymore. But now you are light in the Lord. Therefore, walk as children of the light. Don't be fools. Be wise. And chapter 6. Finally, brethren... My sisters in Christ, be strong in the Lord, it tells us. And then it tells us how to be strong in the power of his might, putting on the whole armor that will be able to stand, stand against the wiles of the devil. For it informs us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in the high heavenly places another therefore take up the whole armor of God and having done all to stand and so it ends with the way it began with grace with grace that merciful kindness by which God exerts his holy influence upon our souls That kind of grace be with all those who love 
our Lord Jesus. Amen. And I left out 90% of the treasures. That was just a running view. I hope that made you hungry. I hope that made you eager. I hope that made you excited. So how will we dive in? Please open your notebooks and you have some paperwork to show us how we are going to approach this. We're going to approach this inductively. I know that seems like an academic word, but it just means that we are going to look at the Word of God with holy curiosity. So in your notebook, you have a, a paper with a title at the very top, Holy Curiosity. And with that, it knocks on the door of the, the treasure chest of God's Word with three steps. Number first step is to discover. So when we look at a portion of, of Ephesians, and trust me, each week we won't be able to cover the whole chapter or half a chapter, we will take it in bite-sized pieces. We will take a few verses at a time. The teacher will share a message, and then you at your tables, you will look at bite-sized pieces. Maybe you'll look at two bite-sized pieces. Maybe you'll only get to one. And you will look at that by looking at it with curiosity. You will look and ask, what is really happening here? What's being said? What are the promises? What are the key words? What are the key people? What are the key actions that are, are talked about? And so we'll look at that by asking who, what, when, where, and how. And why? So these words will springboard us to pay attention. And so that will be step one. And also in your notebook, you'll see a sheet that says, you'll see two sheets. One that says, digging into the riches of God's word. And they actually both say that. One of them has, one of them has, in line one, read the portion of scripture, Revelation 2, 1 through 7. Do you see that one? Mm-hmm. And there should be another one in your note. Yes. Another, the second one is the personal template for digging into the riches of God's word. So one would be what you would discuss in your group. So if, if we had time, have time tonight, we're going to spend just a moment in Revelation 2, verses 1 through 7, because that talks to the Ephesians. And we're going to kind of take it for a spin. And then the personal template would be what you would use at home. You're not going to have a, a notebook full of pages and pages, as you see, if you open your little spiral notebook, notebook, all the pages are blank. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and that's why we use pens. And that's why this little template, if you put it beside your notebook, 
what we're going to ask you to do is between this, this Monday night and next Monday night that you all by yourself this week would open your Bible and read through chapter 1. That will be what we study next week. And then take a few verses and try these steps out. Look at the personal template for digging into riches of God's word. So you'll take a few verses and you'll read it over. Then you'll read it over a a second time with your pen in hand. And you'll underline key words that stand out to you as interesting. Now, in your groups, we'll also do this. So in your group, when you sit, the teacher will be done. Then you'll be in your little group. And the teacher will say, let's read that text again. Let's, and, and as we read, underline, circle what stands out to you. And then she'll ask you to list those things. Write those things down. You've circled them, you've, you've underlined them. And so that's paying attention for just a moment. But if you write them out in, in um, section three, then that kind of makes you cement them and pay even more attention to them. At that point, you're not looking for what this means, what are the lessons, how am I going to apply this? You're just paying attention to what is really being said. And then number four, we'll ask you to stir it up with holy curiosity. You'll look and you'll say, what do I learn about God about that? What do I learn about life, about myself? And then in, in the last section, section five, is when you'll ask, how can I apply? But under four, you'll look at three lessons that you learn. In that first discovery under three, if you're at home, this is where the holy curiosity would cause you to pull out a dictionary, to go on the blue letter Bible online and look up definitions of words. And so as you look at those words, Sometimes we think that we know what a word means, but we really don't. Like grace, you know, I, 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 I could say just, just from things that I've heard through the years, it's God riches at, at Christ's expense, that he gives us God's riches at his expense. Perfect definition. But I love this one that was in one of the definitions that said his merciful kindness exerting his holy influence. Oh my goodness, that got me excited in a magnified, multiplied way. So look up definitions at home. So what if you don't? What if you don't get a chance? What if you haven't, you come next Monday, and, or you're thinking about coming next Monday, or you're thinking about not coming next Monday, because you haven't opened your Bible. You haven't looked up one definition of words. This is one thing that we faced in years past, is that girls stopped coming because they hadn't done their homework. And we want to say to you, don't do it. 
Don't give up. Hang in there. Because it's each week when you come, you'll have a message from the teacher. And then you'll go to your groups. You'll turn. And you'll take a section fresh. You'll all be on the same level playing field. Maybe the, t- the, the group leader will choose a section that you haven't really pondered at all. If you've done some of it, or if you haven't read, it's all fresh to you. But you'll go freshly to it and dig and discover it together. And what is the end result? What are we after by doing it this way? Instead of giving you notebook that somehow, in some ways, can seem easier. We are teaching you to feed yourself. We are teaching you to open your Bible and look and ponder and investigate and write things out and then ask questions. What does this mean? How can this apply to my crazy world? And then to stop and, and all by yourself, just ask God, how can this apply How can I live this out? So that is what our task is this this week. And so now, take one little, little sheet, the one that says, digging into the riches of God's word. We have nine minutes, and we're going to do that. We're not just going to talk about it. For just a moment, we're going to do that. Just in the beginning, um, revved up, aimed at. You might be wondering, Revelation has nothing to do with Ephesians. Okay? Does everyone have your pen in hand? Okay? Listen carefully. And you get to underline three phrases or key words, okay? You have your pens? Hold them up. Okay, let's go. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says, He who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, this is what he says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen. Repent and do the first works. Or else I'll come to you and quickly remove your lampstand from its place. Unless you repent. Now, you have your little worksheet. Under three, write down three key words 
or phrases that stand out to you? Okay, has everybody at least written one word? Okay. We've got seven minutes. Now your leader is going to ask three or four of you to share your key phrase or word. Okay? Now you're zooming back into your groups. And as soon as, and as, soon as you've shared your key words, she's going to ask you to write down one lesson you learned from that. Okay? And then follow what that, the next four, four, and do number four, coming up with one lesson. Okay, I'm going to have to, oh, so infuriating. We run out of time always, 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 always. Okay, hopefully that gave you a little, a taste. Some of you are new. I want to tell you how exciting it's going to be when you have, you just dive in with a great block of time and your leaders are just going to keep asking you, let's think about this. Let's discover what, what does this mean in our life. They're going to just stir you up. And you're going to see yourself writing things and going, oh my goodness, did I see that? And it's just going to be so, so amazing. Is it not? Yes, it is. So, um, could you, I mean, the more you invest, the better you are. Could you? You've Put your feet in, got it wet with the Revelation um, text. Could you take that home and in the morning keep going with it? Just going with a, another keyword you say, see. Look up a definition. Write out some lessons. Try it on. Try it on. Then read some of these other papers. And just let these thoughts stir around in your heart and then come next Monday hungry, okay? So close in prayer, somebody in your group, all close in prayer and um, yeah, come back next week. God bless you.